We invite you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew today. Matthew, Matthew chapter 20, we'll be looking at verses 20 through 28. If you haven't brought a Bible with you this morning, uh, you can use the uh, Pew Bible that's in the Pew Rack in front of you, and our passage this morning is found on page 825 in those uh, black Pew Bibles. Through this uh, Advent season, I have been uh, continuing a sermon series that I've done in previous years uh, during Christmas season, looking at different statements in the Bible as to why Christ uh, came to earth, and we'll continue that this morning. We see this in uh, Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. A specific statement that Christ came to give his life as a ransom for many. So let's look together at Matthew chapter 20, beginning at verse 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand And at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And thus far, God's holy word, may he write its truth on all of our hearts this morning. Let's go to him in prayer. God, how we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who came to serve and who came to give his life as a ransom for many. How we thank you for salvation in Christ. How we pray, how we thank you for transformation in Christ. So we pray this morning that you would not only help us to love Christ more, but that you would help us to be more like him. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Most of us, I think, are familiar with the term a king's ransom. Uh, We sometimes hear that or use that. A king's ransom today just basically means paying a large amount of money. Earlier, many, many years ago, hundreds of years ago, uh, a king's ransom would be 
the amount that would be required to set a king free from captivity. And we don't know this for certain, but many people believe that the origins of this saying go all the way back to the the 12th century, to 1192, when Richard I of England, otherwise known as Lionheart, was captured by the Duke of Austria, and the demand for his release was 100,000 pounds of silver. Uh, that was a lot. They, in order to gather that amount of money, uh, the people of England were taxed. The silver and gold in churches were confiscated. Uh, it was gathered together over a few years, uh, but eventually paid. And that king, uh, Richard I, was indeed ransomed, set free. Here, in our passage this morning, the king is the ransom paid. The king is the ransom paid. What we have here in our text is not the ransom paid by others to free the king, Jesus, but the ransom paid by the king, Jesus, to free his people. Christ came to give his life as a ransom for many. And I want us to see three things in this passage this morning. How did he do this? The passage lays out for us that he basically does this in three ways, through sacrifice, through service, and through substitution. And all these are closely tied together. First of all, we see the king as sacrifice. The king as sacrifice. We begin in verses 20 and following. We see the mother of the sons of Zebedee come, 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 comes to Jesus with her sons, that is, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and she has a request uh, for Jesus Christ. Now, you remember, most of you who are familiar with Scripture know that James and John are actually part of Jesus' inner circle already. Peter, James, and John are part of the inner circle, Jesus' closest friends, if you will, his closest uh, disciples. And it is very possible that the mother of James and John is actually Jesus' aunt, or aunt, if you pronounce it that way. How do we, why, why do I say that? Um, well, we try to put together certain things in the Gospels. Let me do this quickly. I'm not going to go into great detail because it's not all that important, but it's interesting. At the cross, we see basically the same women. There are Mary Magdalene, right, in the different Gospel accounts. There's Mary Magdalene. There's another Mary, but there's also a third woman, and she's called different things in different Gospels. In Matthew 27, it's the mother of the sons of Zebedee, as she's called here in uh, Matthew chapter 20. In Mark, this other woman is called Salome, but in John, she's called Jesus' mother's 
sister. In other words, this she very well could be Jesus' uh, aunt, aunt, and James and John might very well be Jesus' cousins. All right, that's just a little extra Christmas gift this morning. She comes and she kneels before Jesus. And she asks in verse 21 for her sons to sit on Jesus' right and sit on Jesus' left in his kingdom. Now in the ancient world in the, in the, in the first century, the, the place of honor would be to sit on the right hand, especially of a, of a king. So, but if you have two people, you sit on the right and on the left. The right and left, the immediate right and left would be the places of honor, both sides. Now, Jesus has already said, if you look back at chapter 19, verse 12, uh, 28, that the 12 disciples will sit on 12 thrones. But the mother of James and John wants them to be right there, the places of honor right there next to Jesus. She recognizes him as a king. She kneels before him, which would be interesting if if he is her nephew. She kneels before him. She recognizes him as a king. That's a that's a positive. She recognizes that he's going to be sitting sitting on a throne. But there's one small problem. She has, in some sense, not taken in the fact that Jesus, if you look back at verses 17 to 19, Jesus is first going to die. He's going he's to be, be crucified, as chapter 20, verse 19 puts it. There's no crown without a cross He's going to go to the cross first. And so in verse 22, Jesus addresses what might look at first to be this this mother of James and John, but really it seems like Jesus is addressing James and John themselves in verse 22 when he says, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup? That I am, that I am to drink. And they said to him, we are able. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? This is a key phrase. What is the cup that Jesus is going to drink? In the Bible, the cup symbolized the wrath of God. The pouring out of wrath, the pouring out of of God's judgment. Psalm 75, verse 8, we read this, In the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. Or Jeremiah 25, 15, Thus the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, Take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink drink it. And of course, Jesus in the garden, as he is sweating what is like drops of blood 
in agony, prays to the Father, Father, if possible, take this cup from me. Why? Because on the cross, he's going to experience the wrath of God against all of the sin of all of his people. Kingship for Christ, ruling for Christ, is tied to suffering. Before glory comes the cross, before exaltation comes humiliation. The king's path to Jerusalem, and of course, going to Jerusalem, that's the place where the the king would be crowned. But the king's path to Jerusalem would be to be crucified and to die. And Jesus is saying to James and John, are you able to drink that cup? Now, it's interesting here, they, they confidently reply, we are even though later they're going to run at Jesus' arrest. They don't stay behind when Jesus is arrested, although later they, they do face hardship. James becomes what? The first martyr, the first apostle martyred, the first apostle to die, not the first martyr in the New Testament, but the first apostle martyred in Acts chapter 12. John would later be sent to a, the island of, of Patmos, a, a Roman penal colony. We don't know if he died naturally or was martyred there on that, that island. Yet Christ's sacrifice was unique. It was a sacrifice for sins. He took God's wrath on himself, as we'll see a little bit more later. Secondly, we see Christ as servant, Christ as sacrifice. Secondly, Christ as servant. We see this in verses 24 and following. Verse 24, the ten hear about it, and they were indignant at the two brothers, the text uh, tells us. Remember, if you know the Gospels well, you remember that there was a uh, seemingly rivalry among these disciples. We, we see them arguing at times about who was the greatest among the, the disciples. And so they would be, uh, they would be at, at, at odds here. They would be angry with this. But in verse 25, Jesus calls them to himself. And he says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, heavy-handed authority over them is the idea here. But it shall not be so among you. The rulers of authority lorded over them. This was, and it is, the spirit of the age. Rulers showing off their power. People in positions of authority, lording it over others underneath them. In the first century, as New Testament scholar Dan Doriani points out, the world measured greatness by how many servants, by how many slaves 
a person possessed. It was a sign of power, a sign of wealth, a sign of success. But Jesus says in verses 26 and 27, you, you should be different. It shall not be so among you. He goes on to say, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Whoever would be great would be your servant. The servant was a a hired worker. One who maintained the household. But a slave was one who was forced into service. And note the reversal here. The slave, the lowest is first and leads the great who are the servants. The slaves, the lowest, will become first. And they even lead the great who are the servants. And yet Christ is lower still. He serves even giving himself to death on the cross, the cross that was reserved for the lowest of the low, the lowest of the criminals and the lowest class of people. Christ as servant, and the same as for us, the call here to serve, following the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. Many of you know the story of Eric Little, the Olympic runner, who, because of his convictions about the Sabbath, the Lord's Day, glad to see you all here on Christmas on the Lord's Day, a great Olympic runner would not run his, his main race. He was the favorite to win the 100-meter race, but a heat was on the Lord's Day, and he would not run on the Lord's Day. Eventually, later, won the 400 meter. But after that, he became a missionary to China. He ended up in a concentration camp. And his wonderful book, a biography of uh, Eric Little, Duncan Hamilton, writes this, Without the likes of Little, the camp would have come apart. He was a one-man task force. Every morning he wound himself up for another great burst of work, often overheard singing one of three hymns during it. There's a wideness in God's mercy, gracious spirit dwell with me, and God who touches earth with beauty. One fellow prisoner said, the more he was needed, the more he did. I don't remember hearing him ever saying no to anyone. You only had to wait your turn in the queue for his time. A faithful servant, he literally spent himself and gave himself to serving his Savior and following in his Savior's footsteps. Christ came as a servant, and Christ calls us here to serve one another. But third and finally, we see Christ as Substitute. Christ is substitute. Verse 28, 
even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Notice, first of all, the language here, the Son of Man came. He came. This immediately points to his preexistence. His preexistence. He he came to earth. He's the eternal Son of God who became man. But notice he also calls himself here the, the Son of Man. This is Jesus' favorite designation for himself. The, the language originally comes from the Old Testament book of Daniel, the one, one who was a, a son of man, or, or as it's referred to uh, in the book of Daniel, one like a son of man. He is a human being, and yet he comes on the clouds in Daniel chapter 7. This language of coming on the clouds is always used of God. So what we have is this human figure who is divine, this God-man. And Jesus uses this to refer to himself. He is the perfect God-man, the Son of Man. The perfect God-man came. Why did he become man? Why did Jesus Come to earth, he says here, he came basically to die. Or as he says here in this verse, to give his life as a ransom for many. What is a ransom? It's a price paid to deliver someone from slavery, to deliver someone from imprisonment. That would be the the idea in the first century. Mostly, this would be to free soldiers or sometimes even to set slaves free. Price paid to set them free. And again, as Dan Doriani puts it, Jesus compares the human condition to slavery or captivity from which we cannot save ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot set ourselves free in the slavery and captivity of sin. Our only hope is outside intervention. And thus Christ came to earth. Christ came to earth. We can ask the question if a if a ransom was paid, to whom? Was it paid? To whom was it was it paid? Well, first of all, I want you to note one thing. The language here gave himself as a ransom for many. The word for here in the Greek is literally the word anti. Uh, you we you know that word, we use it in English, anti. And really the idea here is for many is instead of or in place of many. He gave himself as a ransom in place of, instead of many, or as a substitute for many. 
There is, in other words, an exchange that is taking place. Christ dies in the place of others. Scripture tells us elsewhere that the wages of sin is death. Sin separates us from God. It leads to eternal death. It leads to darkness. And so what does Christ do? Christ gives himself. Christ dies. Christ takes God's wrath and turns it away from many, as the text tells us. The many who deserve God's wrath, Christ turns it away from them so that those who trust in Christ might know God. And so if, the ransom, if Christ ransomed us from the wrath of God, the ransom is offered to God. Even as the Old Testament sacrifices were offered to God for the sins of his people. But here is the ultimate act of sacrifice that cannot in any, be, any way be repeated or equaled Christ as substitute, Christ as ransom, paying the price, death, that sinners deserve to pay. He paid by giving himself. He paid by giving his own life. As scripture says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Or as Jesus himself said elsewhere, greater love has no one than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. We sang last night, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. That's what Jesus came to do, to ransom captive Israel, to to ransom his people. And we'll sing in just a a few moments now, if the preacher would just shut up. Come thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. Born to set thy people free, to pay a ransom that sets them free. Here we have a king's ransom paid by the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no greater price paid, the king gave himself. Why? To free his slaves, imprisoned under sin. Why? So that his servants might become his sons and daughters, sons and daughters of the living God. What a precious gift So we celebrate this Christmas Day at a great cost that gives to God's people eternal riches in the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Our God, how we thank you. How we thank you for your great love and for the great love of the Lord Jesus Christ who came to earth ultimately to die.
to pay the ransom that we might be set free to be your beloved sons and daughters. And so, O oh God, put great joy, put thanksgiving into our hearts this and every day. And now we give you thanks and praise in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.